us as we approach your word that you'd fill us with your spirit and help us to understand, help us to apply it to our lives, help us to see what is in your scripture as opposed to what's in the world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. The question that came up <clears throat> during Bible study, it was a good Bible study. You folks that aren't there on Wednesday nights, you're missing a good deal. But what came up is two fellows mentioned a radio preacher who I'd never heard of him. And one was pointing out that he preaches that there are two Gospels. And I think it was the implication that there's two different ways to be saved, or at least two different applications of the way to be saved. And there are people that preach that. <coughs> there was a fellow in a church locally here. Uh, he didn't last very long because I think the people caught on that he apparently didn't believe God's word. But uh, he had made the comment from the pulpit that there's different ways to be saved other than through the blood of Jesus. And uh, some of you remember Lois Ingram, uh, her husband, bless his heart, Howard stood up and says, hold it. Did you just say there are other ways to be saved than through the blood of Jesus? And the guy kind of looked around and said, well, yeah. And he says, that's heresy. We're leaving. <coughs> and Howard and his family stood up, all five or six of them, I think, at the time, and walked out. And uh, Now, I don't know what that guy was thinking. I never knew him personally. Uh, I'd met him, I think, once. <coughs> but... And I have no idea what the guy on the radio is thinking. But we're going to go to several verses today because <clears throat> the verse that we usually think about when we talk about the gospel is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. If you want to turn there, you can. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation. I, I underscored the there because it's the only thing God says he can use to save people. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's what Paul said about the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> and he outlines in 1 Corinthians verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, what's in that gospel. He says, For I delivered unto you that which I also received as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he goes on to say, and he was seen of Peter, and then of the twelve, and then after that of above 500 brethren at one time. Uh, we know that passage. <clears throat> but in case you missed it, the three things that he said had to be included in the gospel then were the good news of Jesus' death for our sins, his crucifixion, his burial, from which he, where he stayed for three days and three nights, and his resurrection, which was physical and visible and eternal, <clears throat> as opposed to Lazarus, who was just revived for however long before he physically died again. <clears throat> Those three pieces of the gospel all have to be there. Well, why is that so important? Well, if I tell about Jesus, but I leave out his death, then we don't have a Savior. In fact, if I leave out the fact that he was crucified, why? Well, because the crucifixion was specifically part of fulfilling the prophecies that God had laid out. There are many people that died many kinds of deaths. Isaiah, history says he was sawn in two. Yow, that's bad. Uh, many of them were stoned. There are many that were killed with swords. Many died by fire. Uh, 
many died of diseases and so forth. <clears throat> but crucifixion was not one of the means by which Jews were supposed to execute people. It was That was a Roman invention, at least at that time. It's probably been used in different people at different times. But uh, that was specific to the, to the fulfilling of the scripture. The fact that he was buried for three days and three nights. So I leave that out. Somebody might assume that maybe he wasn't dead in the first place. Maybe he was just hurt real bad and passed out, and the cold of the tomb somehow revived him, really. No, things don't work that way very well. And maybe if I left that out, they might assume that he wasn't really dead at all, that he wasn't even buried, that, that they simply got over his wounds and was seen later, and they assumed that he'd been buried. No, no, he was dead and buried and was bundled up in those swaddling clothes, the grave clothes that we think makes a mummy, which it does, uh, for three days and three nights. <clears throat> what about the resurrection? Well, if you leave that out, you got a dead Savior. And, you know, this seems like there's a song, isn't it? Uh, we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. Yeah, well, we wouldn't have that without the resurrection. So those three parts have to be there. But when somebody starts talking about different Gospels, what are they talking about? Well, I would like to have us read or at least look at seven gospels that are true gospels in the scripture that are to be that are spoken of by humans there's one that we're we're going to address afterwards that's that only is used once and it's an angel that says it <clears throat> first one we'll talk about is the gospel of the kingdom and a lot of people talk about that as if that's what we're supposed to preach John the Baptist came preaching the good news that the kingdom of heaven, that is the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom of the Messiah reigning on earth, was at hand. It was available then and there. Jesus came preaching that exact same message, that the, that the millennial kingdom was at hand, the thousand-year messianic kingdom <clears throat> was at hand. And that's found in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and probably some other places. <clears throat> There's one passage that talks about the gospel of your salvation. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. That's the only place that's mentioned. There's the gospel of Christ we just read about in Romans 1, 16. It's also mentioned in Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, and many other places. Uh, there's the gospel of God, which is mentioned in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Romans chapter 15, verse 16, and a whole bunch of other places. Those two are the most common, gospel of Christ, gospel of God. <clears throat> the gospel of his son is only in one place, Romans chapter 1, verse 9, but it's in the context, he's just talking about the gospel of God, the gospel of his son, and five verses later, he's talking about the gospel of Christ. So these three are tied together real tight. The gospel of the grace of God is Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It's the only place it's mentioned. <clears throat> and yet, we preach the gospel of grace. That's, that's what it's about. And finally, the gospel of peace, which is only mentioned in two places. I thought it was only one, but it's two. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse 15, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. So you'll you notice that some of these phrases are only used once. Some of them are used twice, and some of them are used a whole bunch of times. <clears throat> the Gospel of Christ, some of these phrases are identical. 
are almost identical. The gospel of Christ, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of God, the gospel of his son seem to be identical. They're used interchangeably in some passages. The gospel of the grace of God is only used once, but it seems to be identical to the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> so five of the seven we just listed are the same gospel, the one we've just been talking about. The, the, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ being believed in is the power of God unto salvation. Now, we've talked in the past the fact that virtually all good news is predicated on some pre-existing bad news. If I came home and said, honey, I got a new job. She says, what happened to the old job? Okay. Well, there was some bad news there somehow. I got laid off or got fired or whatever. Uh, when Ann and I went to visit Jim and Judy in New Guinea, one of the places we stopped en route was in Australia. And I had read that <coughs> Australia, uh, the medical teams down there had dis developed an anti-venom that covered 85 different kinds of venomous snakes. And, oh, well, that sounds like good news, but the, that means the bad news is you've got at least 85 different kinds of venomous snakes there. <clears throat> and we only have four in the whole United States. <clears throat> well, there's different variants of some of them, but in general, that's it. Uh, <clears throat> so I looked it up right before we left, and it turned out, no, there's 140 different kinds of venomous critters in, in Australia, and this antivenin covers the most common 85. So they have that at all their medical outposts, and if you get bit, you run to one of them, they inject you with that, and then say, what did this thing look like? And if it fits the list of the 85, you're good, you can go home. If it's not, then we need to get you someplace where they got the right medicine for that, okay? And it was only a few years ago they developed an antivenin for the world's only super, really uh, deadly spider, truly deadly spider, the... Uh, See, huh. funnel web, the funnel web spider. Only two people, I think, ever lived after being bit one of those uh, before they developed the antivenin. <clears throat> and it was because they only got a little bit of the, the venom. Uh, so there was some really, really bad news, and the good news was they got, a, they got a medicine for that. The really, really bad news in our case is our sin. <clears throat> that every single member of the human race is a lost sinner headed for an eternity in hell. And the good news is the antivenin for the snake bite that we all got in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden is Jesus' blood at the cross. That's why that's good news. Otherwise, what would be good news about the best man that ever lived being cruci crucified and tortured to death? That's not good news. It's terrible news. No, it's the best news there is because he voluntarily provided that cure for our sin. All right, so... We need to talk about what gospel are we preaching. <clears throat> Some of the things we said were identical. <clears throat> uh, the gospel of God is the good news that God sends through Jesus Christ, his son. It includes the promise of salvation by God's grace. That's starting to incorporate all these other gospels through faith in the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. Now see, that fits, and it fulfills everything we just read above in Romans 1.16 and comparing 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, where it gives the content in brief, a three-point content of the gospel. 
And by necessity, this gospel, the gospel of Christ, always includes the preaching of the cross. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says that, uh, <clears throat> actually, 1 Corinthians 1, 17 and 18, he says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the preaching of the cross be made of none effect. Don't get too slick with how you're sharing the gospel with people. Make it simple. Make sure that you've got the content there. <clears throat> Another place it says, we preach Christ crucified. <clears throat> the two remaining gospel then from the list above, which are not identical, are the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of peace. So let's talk about those two. Because you'll frequently hear people talking about, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Well, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that both Jesus and John the Baptist preached in Israel. It was the good news that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that the actual rule of the Messiah on earth from Jerusalem, where the entire Gentile and Jewish world would be under his leadership, was at hand. It was available. Why? Because he was there. He was the king. John preached that message during his whole ministry until he was imprisoned and later executed, not for preaching that gospel. He was executed because he told the king that it wasn't okay for him to grab onto his brother-in-law's wife. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus preached it until it was, the message was rejected. He preached the gospel of the kingdom until they firmly rejected him as the king. When they were accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan, he recognized that they had fully rejected the message of him as the king, and he quit preaching the kingdom of the, the, the gospel of the kingdom, the, the kingdom of heaven, and he started heading towards the cross. Now we see that as kind of a sad transition, but see, God knew this ahead of time. <clears throat> the prophecies all included him being crucified. It did not include Israel just joyfully receiving him at his first appearance, and no, they, it included them rejecting him and killing him. We can see that real clearly in the Old Testament. <clears throat> as a nation, the Jews finally rejected the offer, so the offer was retracted from that generation. It's not going to be offered again, until he comes back. Jesus no longer preached the gospel of the kingdom. He was headed for the cross. The promised kingdom is still coming, but it'll be immediately after the tribulation period. And we have that now in the rest of the New Testament. We know clearly what's happening there. It'll begin with the physical triumphant return of the king. And we see that in the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 12, it says, Then shall they look upon me whom they have pierced and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for his only begotten son and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn son. Why? Because they'll finally recognize they killed the Messiah. It's interesting. It doesn't say they'll look on him whom they have pierced. Read it. It says they'll look upon me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him. It's Jehovah talking throughout that whole passage, Zechariah chapter 12, all caps, L-O-R-D. <clears throat> so the coming kingdom is still good news, but we really can't preach the good, that good news today. First place, we don't know when he's coming back. 
So I can't say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe he's coming back soon, but I can't prove that. John and Jesus knew that Jesus was right there. The kingdom was right there in their midst. All they had to do was latch on to him. They failed to do so. They rejected him. The second thing is we do know that when he comes back, there's, before he comes back, the, the, the coming kingdom will be preceded by seven years of the worst news the world has ever had. It will be the tribulation. So that's not exactly the gospel that we're supposed to be preaching. <clears throat> what about that last one, the gospel of peace? It's only mentioned twice. It's mentioned in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. <clears throat> it's also mentioned in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 15. In Romans chapter 10, Paul is quoting and summarizing Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Uh, we sing this song sometimes. Isaiah said, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. So what Paul said in Romans ten fifteen, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of him that preaches the gospel of peace and brings glad tidings of good things. That was a summary of what I just read. The original didn't actually say the gospel of peace. And if I take the fact that gospel just means good news, that's what he was quoting is the good news of Isaiah 52.7 that's given to Israel. That God was going to bring peace between Israel and God because they were at odds with God most of their history. They still are. That he was going to bring peace between Israel and all their enemies because they've been getting trounced by enemies all the time down through history because they're not walking with God and he sends their enemies to chastise them. That's still happening. But that's what he was talking about in Romans 10. In fact, if you remember, uh, none of you are here when I was teaching through Romans, but, the, but Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 answer the question, what about the Jews? And he's talking about that Jews are still God's chosen people. This is what God's God's uh, agenda is with them. And in the middle of chapter 10, he gives that verse. He's talking about the Jews. But in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, he uses that phrase, the gospel of peace, and he's not talking about the Jews. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking about the armor of believers in the New Testament. The armor of God that's given to New Testament Christian believers, whether Jew or Gentile, and one of those pieces of armor is your shoes to give you a firm footing in the spiritual battles that Christians are to engage in to fight. When we read about that armor, it talks about the, having your loins girt about with truth, this belt that's going to hold up everything else. God's word is what holds up the whole rest of our armor. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness that's hung, Jesus' righteousness that's hung on the truth of that, that word of truth, the gospel, the, the Bible, that I'm shielded by Jesus' righteousness, not mine. It talks about my feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, what's it talking about? Is it talking about the good news to Israel, that he's going to take care of their enemies? No. No. If you'll turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we'll see where this concept comes from. We were in Romans 1, verse 16, so just a couple, three pages off to your right. 
We get Romans chapter 5, verse 1. He's just got done explaining in the end of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 how we are to be born again and what our position in Christ is because we've been born again. And the very first verse in Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified, that means declared righteous by God, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say the peace of God. It says we have peace with God. You see, because when I drop down to verse 10, it says that we were enemies. It says while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That I was on the list of God's enemies before I was a believer. And that the day I trusted Jesus as my Savior... He no longer sees me as his enemy. I'm not. I'm his born-again child. I have peace with God permanently. He'll never see me any other way. Do I always have the peace of God? No, I don't. Chuck is always getting on me. Chet, keep your eyes in the right place. Chet, focus your attention on God. Chet, believe in Jesus and his power. Quit thinking. See, why? Because I'm a worrier. I'm always worrying. I'm always trying to handle things in my own strength. I don't always have the peace of God, but I always have peace with God. That's my position. My position is that I have peace with God. I'm his child. My condition is that I'm up and down like a yo-yo. At least this yo-yo's got a string. <clears throat> so the gospel of peace is the good news that we have peace with God, and that should give us firm footing in the battles that we have to fight as Christians. But there's one more gospel mentioned. We've already talked about seven of them. There's one called Another Gospel. It's in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, if you'd like to turn there. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1. Flip over to your right a little further. Go through Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> Starting in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul is talking to the churches of the province of Rome called Galatia. The problem there was that he and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and all these other characters had gone through and preached the gospel of Christ, and there were churches established across this province of Galatia. And right behind them came a group of men teaching that, no, 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 no. Believing in Jesus is not enough to save you. You have to become a Jew. We call them legalizers or Judaizers. They, they were telling the people, unless you go through the physical ritual of circumcision and agree to obey the law and keep coming to the temple with your sacrifices, you're not going to be saved. You know, Jesus, yeah, that's nice what he did, but that's not enough. You see a problem with that, maybe? What was Jesus talking about when he said, it is finished from the cross? Well, I think he meant it was finished. In fact, and, and I, I love the way it comes out of the Spanish Bible. It says, consumado es. It's consummated. It's completed. I did what I came to do. I paid for every last sin of the whole human race. Yes, Jesus did do enough at the cross. So <clears throat> that was what was happening in these churches in Galatia. And this is the whole book of Galatians is talking to that issue. 
and telling these people, you need to get your eyes back where they belong. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you unto the grace. Grace means undeserved favor, unmer unmerited favor. Under, uh, him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Something else. <clears throat> Away from the grace of Christ to another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some who trouble you and who would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That's pretty strong language. And as if that's not enough, he repeats it. Uh, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. So it's a fairly serious question. What gospel are we preaching? <clears throat> we get to see how God feels about preaching some other gospel. He condemns it in the strongest terms. When you say let him be accursed, that's about as strong a terms as we can see. <clears throat> so what gospel should we preach? On more than one occasion, I've had some preacher tell me, well, I'm really going to give them the gospel. So I sat down and in their congregation and listened really carefully. And I was dismayed to find out they not only didn't really give them the gospel, they didn't mention any part of the gospel. There was no mention of the holiness of God. By the way, remember the gospel has two parts, the bad news and the good news? Well, if I'm a sinner, then the holiness of God is bad news because it means I'm going to be judged for my sin. It's good news for us because his holiness and his righteousness also was accompanied by his love, and he sent Jesus to the cross based on his love for us. But to an unrepentant sinner, the holiness of God is bad news, and they didn't mention any of that. They didn't mention any personal guilt for sin, which is always bad news. They didn't mention any coming judgment, you know, there's people that say, well, yeah, I mean, we're all sinners, but God's never going to do anything about it. I mean, he, he forgives us all. No, that's not true. God does judge sin, and he's going to completely judge sin. He hasn't missed anything. <clears throat> they didn't mention the need for a personal Savior. It's not just, yeah, Jesus is the Savior of the world. Well, okay, did he die for your sins personally? Well, uh, he's the Savior of the world. Did he die for you personally? You see, there was no mention of that. There was no mention of the cross at all. There was no mention of grace. There was no mention of the grave, his burial, and there was no res mention of the resurrection. So what gospel were they preaching? Well, it wasn't the gospel of Christ. They left out every bit of both the bad news and the good news involving this involved with the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> so what gospel did they preach? Well, if it wasn't the gospel of Christ... No one could have been saved through hearing that message. A lot of times what they were saying, they didn't, they didn't even address the message of salvation. They didn't even hint at it. Uh, they had told me, I'm really going to give them the gospel. <clears throat> Their message usually was some sort of exhortation to lead a better life or uh, expounding the value of regular church attendance or you know, prayer life. I mean, those things are all good things, but you can't get saved that way. I'm sorry to have to condemn anything people say. I don't like doing that. And I really don't like to condemn a preacher for his message, but that's exactly what Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 calls for. None of the things they were preaching are part of the gospel of Christ. And when those things 
the kinds of things they were preaching end up replacing the true gospel, that they're no longer preaching the true gospel, they're only preaching be good, go to church, give your money, then they're not preaching, they're, they're preaching another gospel. They have supplanted the gospel of Christ with something else. <clears throat> the people who persist in bringing such messages are teaching people to approach God by some other means than by the shed blood of Jesus. And Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Okay, we need to listen carefully to the messages we hear. I don't care if it's on the radio or TV or the internet or in church, here in this church. If you don't see it in your Bible, please don't believe it because I said it. you got no business believing anything I say unless you can also back it up with God's Word. So what do we preach? Well, when I share with somebody, I try to remember to share all three points of the good news, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ, and at least the core issue of the bad news. We're, we're lost because we're, we need a Savior because we're lost. That's the bad news. <clears throat> but quite honestly, sometimes I've looked back and I realize that I accidentally left out one or more parts of the gospel, or maybe left out the bad news. That's not acceptable. See, God's not going to condemn me because I forgot to include some part of the gospel, but the result in the hearer's life is they may not be able to receive Christ as their Savior because I didn't tell them how. I talked about it. I talked around it. I skirted around the real issues and never told them how you can be born again, how you can have eternal life today. You do not have to wait till you die to find out if you got it or not. <clears throat> I only gave them part of the message of salvation. Some of you fellows are mechanics. Uh, how well does an engine work if you're missing some vital part? Let's say the crankshaft. You don't have an engine. You've got a pile of junk. You can use it for an anchor for your boat if you want, if you can handle something that big. You know, but that's all you've got. If you leave out parts of the gospel, it is no longer a functioning tool for salvation. The whole gospel has to be there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 says in part, but we preach Christ crucified. The rest of the verse says we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to them who are being saved, it is Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus said ahead of time, we knew ahead of time, and because Jesus said so, that it's not going to be a popular message. Why? Because the majority of the people believe either that they are too good for God or they're too smart for God. If they're too good for God, they don't need a Savior. If they're too smart for God, they think the message is foolish, it's laughable, it's stupid. <clears throat> and in either case, they find the message of the gospel either repugnant or pointless. And Jesus said that the majority would reject the message, but he also commanded us to share it with all people. You don't have the option to say, well, I'm going to find out the ones that I think are most likely to receive the Lord, and I'll only share with them. You don't know who's likely to. The thief on the cross was being executed for his crimes. He wasn't some innocent guy that just got in trouble. No, he was a, a, a criminal. He was being executed for capital crimes. He, he's you know, least likely to succeed, but he's the one that got to hear Jesus say, today you will be with me in paradise. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
I'm pretty sure that means all the people. Now, if you're really excited about things, if you want to preach to the mosquitoes and the dogs and frogs, that's fine, but don't miss the people because that's what he's talking about. Preach the gospel to every creature means the whole world needs that Savior. There are those who believe that Jesus only died for the elect, the ones he'd chosen before the beginning of time. Well, I got a problem with that because First John chapter one, or excuse me, First John chapter two, verses one and two says, uh, "My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous." Verse two says, "And He is the propitiation. That means the satisfaction of God's righteousness and holiness. He is." the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's 1 John 2, too. When you run into people that believe Jesus only died for the elect, they are not telling you the truth. Sorry, that's exactly what it says, word for word. <clears throat> so now what? Well, I have to conclude that if Jesus accomplished that much at the cross, if he created a pathway for the whole world to approach him through his blood, through the veil, that is to say his flesh, from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, then we truly are debtors to all people to offer them that eternal life. He died for them. We offer him eternal life. That's our job, and it's a sacred trust. I don't know if you knew this or not, but angels are not permitted to share the gospel. The one time when an angel was right there involved <clears throat> in Acts chapter 10 when he talked to the Roman centurion, Cornelius, in Caesarea, uh, the centurion was scared out of his wits. He says, what do you want me to do? And the angel could have told him, believe on Jesus, right? No, he didn't. He says, send for a man. His name's Peter, and he's living down in Joppa with a, with a hide tanner. He's living in this stinky place. I don't know if you know, but tanning hides gets pretty smelly. Uh, and that's where Peter was. He said, send for a man. Why? Because angels don't get to preach the gospel. Peter did. The angel didn't. There is one place in Scripture where an angel preaches a gospel. And this is the last one I'm going to tell you about. It's in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Right in the midst of the destruction on earth, it says there was a mighty angel that flew through the heavens, crying out the everlasting gospel and it came down to worship God. He's the creator. Okay, it's not a salvation message. The good news of God is that he is the creator. But the bad news is we're lost. If those are the only two messages I had, I wouldn't, there wouldn't be any avenue for salvation. It wasn't a salvation message. The angels do not get to preach that. We do. That's our privilege. We need to take that privilege. We need to take that gospel and run with it. Let's go ahead and pray, please. Father in heaven, we, we are aware of the, the privilege and the sacred trust that you've laid on us to reach out to those around us with a message of salvation. It's incumbent upon us to learn that message well enough that we can share it anytime and all the time, to be able to explain to another person how to be born again, to be able to encourage another person to place their trust in your finished work at the cross. But it's also incumbent upon us to actually open our mouth and do it. We ask you to give us the courage to do that, that you'd raise us up, fill us with the urgency of that message.
You've told us to proclaim that message. Help us to see the unspeakable privilege that we have and raise us up as your witnesses and as your ambassadors. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, next month, uh, Steve Van Horn is going to come and be teaching on this specific thing. So I hope you're all going to be here for it. we got one more song to sing, I believe. <laughs>